If you have your Bibles with you, you can open to the book of John, 1 John, chapter 1. Uh, we're going to get there just now. Um, but uh, my family and I, we've just been blessed to have been on holiday, so we've just come back from a lovely holiday in the Eastern Cape. And uh, you know it's been a excellent holiday when you're as excited to come back as you were to go on holiday. And so that's exactly what it was for us. We we're so excited to be back and to be back at work and to be back home in the land that we love. Uh, but one of the things that I hate about coming back to work is opening up my emails. And not because there aren't going to be good ones there, but because they're often challenging ones. You, you, you've missed stuff or someone's upset about something. And, uh, and not only are they upset about the thing they were upset about, but now they're upset because you didn't reply on time. Because if you're like me, you don't set those automatic responses to tell people you're on holiday. But one of the things that I really don't like is opening up my emails and seeing in the junk box that there's about 51 different emails from 51 different people promising me the world and trying to sell me this idea that there's this lucrative business opportunity uh, in the UK and they want me to, uh, to just be a partner with them. I don't know if you've got those emails. And then they promise the world hundreds of millions of rands or tens of thousands of pounds or euros. Anyone else get those emails? Right? Trying to, trying to spam you and scam you into, into giving your money away. I've taken to reading them properly now because I quite enjoy how creative they become. Some of them are just outright blatantly ridiculously bad and some are really clever where they've researched people's names and they've gone and they've got proper images and they've really built a good story. But most of them are really easy to spot. But they're super frustrating because that person that sent the email is going to get somebody. And they steal from people and they deceive them. And many people have lost money that way. Many people have been deceived and have lost money in many different ways. My family and I fell victim to a, um, what's that, a gum tree scam, right? It was our fault. We were too trusting. But that has happened, and I'm sure it's happened to many people. Money stolen from an ATM or in some way been scammed, or you've been sold something and you were given what you weren't promised or what you didn't buy, or people have overcharged you or something like that. And it's incredibly frustrating because you realize people have taken you for a fool. One of the things that incredibly, or for me, is incredibly frustrating and that really grieves the heart of God is not necessarily being scammed to the point where we lose money, but where we scam to the point and we lose our souls. Right? Where, where, where we believe a folk, fake doctrine and a false gospel, and we end up not actually following Jesus, the God of the Bible. Satan has, has always made sure that false teachers and preachers thrive in their business of deceiving people to the point where they are not following the genuine Jesus. False spiritual teachers were a massive problem for the early church, and they're a massive problem today. They haven't gone away. And one of the things that is on my heart and I'm incredibly passionate about is obviously preaching and teaching truth and making sure God's people are protected from false teachers and preachers and from doctrines out there that would cause us to walk away from the one and only true living God. This was on Paul's heart. This was on John's heart. Paul in 2 Corinthians, uh, this isn't our main text, but I just want to read what he said. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 warned the church of false teachers. He said, For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. In Acts chapter 20, 
Again, there's a warning. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. The scary thing about that is the warning is that it's not necessarily going to come from outside, but from within the church. There will be people who preach a false doctrine and a false gospel, and it will be salvific in nature in that it touches the core fundamental elements of our belief, and you believe their lie, and you stray and drift away from the genuine Jesus. That's why the New Testament abounds with warnings about false teachers about the fruit of their teachings. There's repeated warnings. And so we're supposed to heed these warnings and be very careful and watch our life and doctrine closely. That's what God's Word says. In other words, we need to know that the Christianity we've bought into and the Jesus we're following is the Christianity and the Jesus of the Bible and not some other version or form of Christianity and not some other version of Jesus. One of the best books in the New Testament to help us with this is the book of 1 John. In it, John sets out to attack false teachers, the false gospels that were being preached, the false doctrines, and he sets out to refute their errors and to bring the church back into line, and particularly errors concerning the person and work of Jesus and how you know you're a genuine follower of Jesus. False teachers and heresy were rough within the church back then as they are today. And because of the teachings that John addressed, or he, tried, or he addresses and because of those teachings, because of those errors, people who weren't saved were believing 100% that they were. And people who, who were saved were believing possibly that they weren't. And there were some people, because of this false teaching, that didn't believe that you could really even know whether you were saved or not. And so John writes this letter and he places huge emphasis on clarifying the difference between a genuine and a fake Christian and how to discern between the two. For John, his concern is that his readers would reflect honestly on their faith. And I pray for us as a church as we go into 2023 that we'll be a church that love truth. God's word says that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. He's a God of truth and grace. And I pray that we'd be a church that pursue truth, love grace, and love each other. And that we would pursue truth and grace, righteousness and justice, with all that we are for the glory of God. I want us to be able to answer this question every single day of our lives. Not just because we answered it once back in the day, but because every day we're able to answer it. Are we true believers? Do we follow the genuine Jesus Are we walking in the light? That's what I believe these verses will help us to answer. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verse 1 to 10 says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... 
we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Before we get into our main points this morning, I just want to clarify this and emphasize this. Paul starts, John starts off by declaring emphatically that he knows exactly what he's talking about. And it's not a proud arrogance. He's saying, I know what I'm talking about when it comes to what it means to genuinely follow Jesus and who the genuine Jesus is, because not only have I heard him for myself audibly, but I've touched him, I've walked with him, I've been his friend, and I've received this message I'm giving to you firsthand. He was with Jesus from the start. The message that he's proclaiming is none other than the message he's got directly from the mouth and life of Jesus, and he's handing it down to us. John, as he's writing here, doesn't beat around the bush either. He doesn't paint in passive or subtle tones. He just gets straight to the point and makes these powerful, exclusive statements. Verse 6, he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. I think we live in a day and age where we're so scared to say that to people when we know that that is true about their lives because we get called judgmental. God knows my heart and you don't is often the rebuttal. Who are you to judge me? And often we've said this, God's call to us is not to be God, but to sharpen each other and to call fruit for what it is. John does this. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This type of bold declaration of truth for me is really refreshing. And in verses 5 to 10, John makes it clear what some of the fundamental elements are to be a genuine follower of Jesus. The first one is this. To have genuine fellowship with God, we must understand God's holiness. We must understand that God is holy. John writes this, he says, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Church marketers people who want to sell church as a business and want to get more people into the door to get more money and make people feel as comfortable as possible would say to you, this doesn't sell. Teaching people that God is holy, that He's a righteous God and that there is a wrath God is storing up to be poured out on the last days is not something that people are going to buy into. So don't, don't say that. Rather focus on the other side. God is love. People want to hear that. People want to know that God is gracious and loving and gentle and kind and merciful and forgiving. And He is all of those things. But what makes those things so beautiful is what you could have had if you didn't send Jesus. And that's the other side. His anger, His holiness, His wrath, His righteousness. If you want to draw crowds, begin with and stick with and only preach God is love and make people feel comfortable in their sin, and in a sense, love them into hell without teaching them truth. And you will fill a church quite easily. There are many mega churches around the world. It's not so much about what they say, but it's what they don't say. 
John begins with God is light, and this is important because in the scripture, God is light can refer to him being a source of knowledge, illumination, truth, guidance. It may point to God's glory and his inapproachable, unchangeable identity, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his ability to be everywhere at once. But in this specific context, as John is using this God is light, what he's referring to is the holiness of God, the inapproachableness of God. His righteousness, the fact that he's perfect and pure in every way. He's emphasizing the moral character of God. It's the same moral teaching you find in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 19, where it says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. In other words, people are evil, but God is not. God is holy in the sense that he is perfect and pure and there's nothing evil in him. And John begins with understanding that a genuine believer understands the holiness of God because understanding the holiness of God means you understand the significance of Jesus and the role that he fulfilled. You see, if, if we were just going to go into heaven anyway because God is love, Rob Bell's one of those heret- heretics who teaches love wins. In other words, it doesn't matter what you believe, you're going to go to heaven because God is love. You see, Someone like that doesn't understand the significance then of what Jesus has done and is essentially spitting on the work of Jesus and the cross. Because if you were just going to go into heaven anyway, what was the point of Jesus? What is the point of faith? What is the point of obedience to Jesus? What is the point of his suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection? What is the point of him coming to live the life that he lived if it was all going to be for nothing and God's love wins anyway? If God is only love, then the cross is unnecessary and meaningless. If we start with the holiness of God, it also exposes false claims about fellowship with God. Because if you fear God, as the scriptures say we should, then you will be obedient to him. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. We speak about the five love languages. God's love language is obedience, church. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. People who obey the commands of God are people who understand who God is and how holy He is. And they obey Him and there's a submission to Him. And there's an allegiance given to Him. But you can see the fruits in the life of somebody who doesn't because they're not obedient to Jesus and it is everywhere. If you love me, you'll obey me. In our day and age, as in John's, many claim to have fellowship with God. But often, their fellowship with God is based on a false perspective and understanding of who God is and based on this God that they've created in their own minds so that they're able to justify what they do and feel comfortable with their lifestyle. I've told you you've just come from East London and I've got many friends there who I love. Two particular guys who I've been friends with from prime, from high school and in many ways will always be friends with. But they are men who've walked away from the Lord and who are justifying their lifestyles because they were once in church and were once Christians and believe that God loves them, but their lifestyles are completely, completely ungodly. You won't find them gracing the doorway of a church. You won't find them opening a Bible. You won't find them speaking the name of Jesus. But from their mouth will come cursing. Their lifestyles are full of drinking and drunkenness. The one is living with somebody he's not married to and feels like that's okay because God understands. Starting with the holiness of God instead of the love of God is also a way 
of really finding true joy. Because true joy comes from knowing that you've been reconciled to our holy God. True joy comes from knowing that the God who could have and should have crushed us, instead loved us and sent his son to save us. And so being reconciled to that God is true joy. Not to a God that never would have done anything to punish sin. And I would have gotten to heaven anyway, regardless. False peace will not hold up on the day of judgment, church. True peace comes from being reconciled to the one and only true God. Knowing that his righteousness and justice and judgment we deserved, but we avoided it because of his grace and love. You see, in the book of John where it says that Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth is something we often miss. We either emphasize one or the other. Truth, which can sometimes seem hard and difficult to swallow, or grace, which sometimes negates truth. Jesus holds them in balance, and it's both grace and truth. And we need to do the same. So to be a genuine follower of Jesus is someone who genuinely understands the holiness of God and lives their life out accordingly. But number two, to to have a genuine relationship or to have genuine fellowship with God means you must not walk in the darkness. It's quite simple. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. John creates a hypothetical situation or, or group of people. He says, if we, just this hypothetical group of people, we claim to be in the truth, yet live in darkness, we do not have fellowship with God. In other words, John is saying, it doesn't matter what somebody says with their mouths, if their lives are not being lived out, according to the scriptures, they are lying. Somewhere along the line, truth has been attacked. It is all around us. It is pervasive. It is everywhere in our culture and in the world that we live in, where people can claim something and it's overtly obvious that they're not living what they're claiming. But yet somehow we tend to look over that and be okay with that. Because it's not politically correct to challenge people. It's not appropriate to make people feel uncomfortable. It's not appropriate to preach truth because the world has defined truth and they've said it's relative. In other words, you can make up your own truth. Church, God's word is objectively true. The life he calls us to has got markers and bears fruits. Those who follow Jesus, their life will look a specific way and it will have some stuff and it won't have others. You cannot with your mouth say that you follow Jesus and yet walk in darkness. To walk points to the general atmosphere of one's life. And we know that from verse 1-9. It says this, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So to walk in the light and not in the darkness means to be constantly confessing and be aware of our sin and presenting ourselves to the Lord on a daily basis to have our hearts checked and our minds and our lives purified and to pray that prayer that David prayed, Lord, search me and know me. Find in me any offensive way and cleanse me, Lord. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. That's what it means to walk in the light. So to walk in the darkness means ignoring or denying our sins and making it a normal part of our lives. So the thing is the time in every Christian's life where we have to evaluate how much we hate sin. Have we become comfortable with it? Have we become people who tend to justify our sin? 
and are unwilling to deal with it? Are we unwilling to expose our hearts and our lives to the Lord for fear of us being exposed? Or are we constantly aware that it was sin that required the sacrifice of Jesus and it was his love that held him there? There are times in my life where I justify the stuff that I do that I shouldn't be doing. There are times in my life where I lie to myself and say, this is going to be okay. We all do it. But I'm grateful to God for this one thing. By His Spirit, there comes a conviction that is deep and that draws me to Him instead of pushes me away from Him. And that's the difference, church. I just want to say this is a sideline between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation will push you away from God and say you're not good enough and He'll never forgive you for that. Conviction will say this is ungodly, unrighteous and impure. Go to God and allow Him to deal with that. That's conviction versus condemnation. And I deal with both. But by the grace of God, conviction wins. And I see the grace of God in my life all the time. And like Paul, I'm able to say, I am the chief of all sinners. There's nothing in me that is righteous apart from what God has done. But that's the Christian life. That's the understanding that a Christian is never perfect. And and we're not ever totally free from sin in the sense that we are constantly at war with the flesh and with the sinful nature and with the the influence of the enemy. But John writes in verse 8 and he says, If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, there were these false teachers then and false teachers today saying that if you become a Christian, you you will be sinless. You are sinless. There were people in our church a few years back who were teaching and preaching that. See, in a sense it's true. In, in, In a sense we've been forgiven and cleansed of all unrighteousness, past, present and future, because of what Jesus has done. And he sees us through the veil of his blood as perfect and holy. But then there's the lived reality. And we are saved. And we are being saved in the sense that we are being made more like Jesus. And our salvation will be complete on the day we stand face to face with him. And there are no more tears. No more death. No more sadness. No more sin. But until that day, we constantly struggle and wrestle with and have to work with and through the sinful nature. It is a deception to believe that you do not have sin and have never sinned and will never sin again. You're only deceiving yourselves, Paul says, John says. He says in verse 10, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. This is a heavy charge. In other words, you're not being judgmental when you call somebody sin out and say there is sin there. By them denying it, they're calling God a liar. God has said, We sin and there is sin in us and we need to deal with it. It's going to be part of the thing that you have to deal with. It's going to be the thorn in our flesh until the day we see Jesus face to face. But is the atmosphere of your life one of accepting the sin and believing that you're okay with Jesus? Or is the atmosphere of your life one of repentance where this constantly drives you to the feet of Jesus where you go, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. I repent of my sin. Church, if there's a way of life We are not allowing the Word of God to confront our sinful thoughts, attitudes, motives, words, and actions. We are walking in darkness. If you are not allowing the Word of God and His truth to confront you in every area of life, you are walking in darkness, not in the light. If I dodge my sin and I blame others, if I make up excuses for why I sin, I'm walking in darkness in darkness and in bondage and not in freedom. And I just want to make this one important note as well. 
for John to walk in darkness is not describing a carnal Christian. It's describing a non-believer. Someone who walks in darkness cannot be a Christian. Someone who walks in darkness does not know Jesus. Someone can walk in the light and be a disobedient son and daughter. But you can never, as the atmosphere of your life, have it to be darkness and claim to be in the light. That is what Paul is saying. John is saying. Paul should have written one John. It's describing an unbeliever, no matter how much they may claim to have fellowship with God. And again, I've seen this in some of my closest friends. And when I say close friends, they are, they, they, they are not the core group of my friends. I do not derive wisdom from them. But they're close because I love them as brothers. And I desire for them to know Jesus. And my heart breaks when I see them walking away from the Lord. And the most difficult thing about trying to minister to my friends that I've just spoken to about is that they believe that they're Christians, but they're not. 100%. They do not know or follow Jesus. They know of Him. They believe God exists. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. The last point is this. To have genuine fellowship with God, we must walk in the light as He is in the light. It makes sense that to be a genuine follower of Jesus, you mustn't walk in darkness. The converse is then true. You need to be walking in light. There's no gray area. Walking in the light, is, is, it's not a description of a super spiritual class of Christian. But there's, there's no such thing as elite Christianity. We tend to have these categories that we put different Christians into. To be a Christian is to walk in the light. It is to be a disciple of Jesus. There's no category of Christian. Some are more obedient than others. Some experience greater intimacy with God as a result of their disciplined obedience to be at the feet of Jesus. Others experience less because they give less time to the Lord. But to be a Christian is to be a disciple and to be walking in the light. It cannot be both in the light and in the dark. There's no gray area. John writes, he says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. Believers walk in the light. In John's day, they were being taught the opposite. And even today, in our culture and around the world, people are being taught that you can walk in darkness and still have a relationship with Jesus. That it's okay to be doing what you're doing and to be living the life that you're living because God will forgive you. He loves you. He's a God of love and He will never send you to hell. Don't listen to what they have to say. It's okay. Everyone has their crutch and their niche and their issue. You don't have to deal with that. Just keep quiet about that. God understands. There are two aspects to walking in the light. To walk in the light is to live openly before God, seeking to be holy and hating sin. What does it mean to be holy? God, God says, be holy as, as, as I am holy. Holiness, the, the word holy just means to be set apart. We cannot be holy like God is holy in essence. God is holy because He's pure, perfect. He is God. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. And He's ever-present. We cannot be holy like that. But how we can be holy is how God says we should be holy. In the way that he defined what an Israelite was and what the Israelite nation was, so he defines for us what it means to be set apart and holy. To be holy is to live as God has called us to live. In the words of Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 21, 
He says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. To be holy as a Christian means to be exposing ourselves to each other and to God on a daily basis, to be walking in the light. And that's in contrast to the person who walks in the darkness. It says, they will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. John chapter 3 verse 20. Verse 7, it teaches us that the blood of Jesus is cleansing. It's a present cleansing for those who walk in the light. The blood of Jesus cleansed and goes on cleansing us as we walk with him and as we walk in the light so we become more like him. To walk in the light is to seek to do what God has called us to do. Church, you, you don't get somebody, don't be deceived by this, who never spends time with the Lord, who's never in the Word, who's never praying, who never mentions Jesus at all, and whose life doesn't reflect that of a life mentioned in Scripture. You don't get a person who does all of that stuff and is a genuine Christian. It sounds so obvious, but it also sounds quite offensive as I say that, because I think we've been conditioned to believe that anything can be true. It is not true that you cannot follow Jesus and yet still call yourself a Christian. It is not true that you can just add the tag Christian to your Facebook profile and then it be so. It is not true that you can place yourself in Christian environments and claim Christianity. Christianity is a walking relationship, a dynamic living relationship with the living God. And the fruit of that walking is evident in your life. And God's word is plainly clear about what that fruit looks like. I think sometimes to appease our hurting hearts, we want to believe that some people are Christians who are actually not. Because then we don't have to deal with the challenge of ministering to them and being rejected by them as we speak truth into their lives. And then when they do pass away, we can be comforted at their funeral when we give words of consolation and consolidation and love, saying that they're somewhere better. I think we'll be shocked one day at who is and who isn't in heaven. I think we'll be shocked one day at just how holy and righteous God is and what it really means and meant and what it would have really meant to follow Him. And my heart is that we would follow Jesus with all that we are. Verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We need to agree with God's diagnosis of our heart condition and submit ourselves to Him constantly. Do not be led astray by false preachers and teachers who will have you believe everything is going to be okay if you just keep on living the way that you're living because you're not as bad as the next person. We tend to have a scale where we rate ourselves. And if we believe we're somewhere in the positive side of that, in other words, we're more than 50% good, then we're going to be okay with God. It's guys like Hitler that are like right on the other side of the scale that aren't going to make it anywhere. We are born sinful. We need Jesus. It's His grace that saves us. It's His love that has won us. But it's His holiness and His righteousness that needs to cause us to fear him in such a way that we walk obediently before him and run this race with perseverance till the day we see him face to face. Don't be led astray to believe that you're better off than what you really are. 
And at the same time, don't fear walking with God in such a way that you constantly believe that every mistake you make is going to knock you off course and that you're somehow not a good Christian or that you're not loved or that God doesn't care for you or that he somehow hates you or sees you as rubbish. I had a conversation with Phil and Dale the other day. We were just talking. We were saying that there's so many people who believe that they're not loved by God and that they're worthless and that somehow God has not paid a high price for them and they live in this place of defeat. God has overcome. We can live confidently as Christians. We can live boldly as Christians. God loves you. He sees that you are valuable. He's declared that you are valuable and worth everything that he's had to give. And he gave everything. And we need to live out of that place. But we can't also be deceived into thinking that a sinful life and a life where the atmosphere of our lives is one of darkness. We can't be deceived into thinking that that is Christianity. And that's Bad and dark fruit is as a result of good roots and healthy soil. That is not truth. That is not true. That is a lie. It's all too easy to put on a religious veneer, church, and to fake our faith by claiming we've got relationship with God, when in reality we're walking in darkness and deceiving ourselves. The Lord doesn't want us to be playing spiritual Russian roulette. Am I saved? Am I not? There is a way to know and to be convinced and to be secure in our salvation. Instead, God wants us in our relationship with him to experience genuine fellowship by walking in the light and to be being made more like Jesus on a daily basis. That's a security you can have and I can have because of the love of God. And because he's righteous and holy, he's made a way for us to be restored to him. Let this year be a year of constant pursuit of Jesus constant walking in the truth and experiencing his grace as we end off this morning i feel a response is not necessarily need to be a public one but but you know whether god's been convicting you and whether you've been drawn into a place where you know that you have to deal with some stuff in your life and i pray that by the grace and the power of god you would have it in you to overcome your fear of humiliation and condemnation, and judgment, that you'd put that aside and go to the feet of a gracious, loving God and allow him to deal with the stuff in your life. Confess it to a brother and a sister. Get rid of the stuff that you believe that is untrue and walk in purity. Because when we do that, when we walk in truth, blessings flow, unity comes, and an intimacy with God is experienced that you can't when you're walking in darkness. Pray that you'd be able to be obedient and go and confess that what you need to to the Lord and walk in the light as he's called us to. In Jesus' name, let's pray together. Father, this morning, just want to thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who does not beat around the bush. Thank you that you are a God who has established for us an objective truth to live by. Thank you that you are a God who's not swayed by the deception of the enemy or by what culture or people believe, or what the masses have adopted as their truth and the way of living. But you are a God who is set apart and holy and called us to be the same. Lord, I pray that you would guard us from false teaching, false perspectives, a false belief about our faith and what faith is and what it means to be a Christian. And that God, as a church here at Connect, that we'd be a people who live in spirit and in truth, who embrace the truth, who love the truth, because truth sets free, and who love the grace that you've given to us. 
May we be people of grace and truth for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.